I was blessed to be here, I think, in October last. And uh, uh, obviously, you know, sometimes these things happen where uh, I'm glad I'm back, but not for the reasons I'm back that your pastor had to go through some stuff there. And uh, uh, so glad to see him on the mend. Um, he's, he's a wonderful man, and he's highly loved and highly regarded by his peers. Uh, that's no surprise to all of you. Uh, grateful for the opportunity. Uh, about 14 years ago, I started Monumental Ministries. It's on an Old Testament concept of when God did something significant, the people would do something. They would change the name of a place or they would stack rocks sometimes, and it served as a uh, memory trigger so that years later when they came to those places, the younger generation would say, why is that there? And the older generation could say, that is the place God did this. And we need those places in our life because I forget. <laughs> I forget so easily. I have to come back to those monuments that God has built in my life to remind me of what he is doing. And uh, so that's what we're about is trying to facilitate moments like that in people's lives. You can go to the website, which is Matt Ministry all one word, of course, .com, and uh, we have everything there that we do. There's books that, that are available. There's also a way if you'd like to financially support uh, the ministry. Another thing that I do is a podcast, uh, me and about two billion other people in the world right now, but, so I'm unique, uh, but uh, I, I think the direction we go with the podcast, which is called MattCast, again, it's all one word if you search for it, and uh, we really speak to creative people. Uh, a lot of times, artists in church don't always go together well, and there's awkwardness on both sides of that, and I, I've kind of lived that a lot in my life. I, I served for 12 years on the, the board of a, uh, uh, an arts and culture agency in Cleveland, uh, and I've been a minister now for over 30 years, so I, I'm aware of the tension. <laughs> so we try to speak to those of you who are creative, who like to make stuff, and want to venture out maybe in the artistic realm and try to bring a biblical perspective to what we're doing. So we'd love for you to subscribe. Uh, usually about every two weeks we have a new episode for you. This morning, we're going to turn our attention to John chapter 8. Uh, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation today. John chapter 8. For 10 years, I served as an interim pastor, um, which means I was the fill-in guy. I was the guy who came in when a pastor had left, and I was there for months at a time until a new pastor was chosen. And walk into different situations. Some are uh, high tension, some are pretty simple, but all of them are complicated. <laughs> and usually my, my routine was I would come on Sunday to do ministry and preach. Wednesday I would come in, do office hours, and uh, oversee the Wednesday night events. One particular Wednesday I'm in the office and the church administrator walks in and says, Pastor Matt, there's someone here who needs to speak to a pastor. Now, that's pastor lingo for this guy needs money. Yeah. Well, you're kind of preparing yourself for, you know, I'm not like the regular guy, so I'm not authorized to do very much. So, but this gentleman walks in and he was a very, very friendly guy. And uh, he really had a, a tragic tale. And his family had been through a lot. He, he told me he was a part-time evangelist and he would travel from church to church where he could. And uh, so I could, I could certainly identify with that. And, uh, you know, it was a struggle for him. He had to do lots of little construction jobs here and there to make ends meet. His car uh, needed some severe repairs. He couldn't afford the repairs. 
So he was depending on other people to get him to different places. And he had come to our town because there was a job the next day. But he had nowhere to stay that particular evening. And then he told me that his father, who had been a pastor in Chicago for many years, uh, had just passed away. His funeral was going to be in a few days. And he didn't know how he was even going to make it to the funeral. And the tears are flowing. And I, of course, my heart is broken for this man. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, what could we possibly do to help? Well, uh, church had an account with a local hotel. So I said, you know what? We can put you up in the hotel for tonight. so You don't have to get back into town. And he goes, oh, thank you. You know, but then I realized he needed to eat and, and different things of that nature. So uh, I took him to uh, a grocery store and I found an ATM machine. And I, I just, you know, I gave him some money out of my own personal account and, and said, here you go. And, and uh, you know, I wish we could do more. But, and he was like, no, thank you so much, you know. And, uh, and, and that was that. About a week later, I'm speaking to my brother, who is also in the ministry. He is a senior pastor. And I told him the story about this guy who had come into my office. And my brother responded, ah, that guy was in my office a year ago with the same story. Wow. Yep, I had gotten taken. And uh, you can imagine what that does to a, even a pastor. I know we're supposed to be holier than the rest of the populace, but... Uh, can you imagine the poor soul who had to come in the next time who needed financial assistance? Really? <laughs> Liar! You know, I mean, you know there, are, there are opportunities to get fooled every day. Get fake phone calls from the IRS. Feel free to put up your hand if you get these. Anyone get the fake IRS call? Yep. Law enforcement? Have you ever had that one? Like, there's a very serious charge. That'll wreck you for about 15 minutes. You get texts every day, emails telling you somebody logged into your fill-in-the-blank account and click here to fix the problem. And when we get fooled, we naturally get less trusting. We decide we will never get fooled again, as the who once sang. <laughs> All right, that's over 50 reference. Which... All right, all right. Something for all the ages. Which means... We naturally don't believe anything anyone says. And before you know it, we become cynical. Here's the best definition of cynicism that I have come across. An attitude of scornful or jaded negativity, especially a general distrust of the integrity or professed motives of others. I'm not making a political statement when I say, we all got lied to during COVID. I'm going to leave it that general. How do you like that? By the way, I'm just a guest, and someone please start, start my car. <laughs> he messed us all up in the head, by the way. I think we're still dealing with the trauma of that. And it made most of us, if not all of us, more cynical. Cynics are not born, they are made. And we all encounter situations in which people we believed in or trusted let us down, some to greater degrees than others. Maybe we had a parent who never came to our events at school. Maybe we were neglected or even abused by those appointed to care for us. We had a leader who made a bad mistake. We lost someone who promised devotion to us. We got hurt in church. And the wounds of that affected our trust in everyone and everything. And for the believer that can dangerously carry over into our relationship with the Lord. You see, what I found is when cynicism has taken hold, it doesn't occupy just one area. It spreads and it metastasizes to every part of our thinking and our heart. 
And I'm not saying that we, we act naive with no boundaries. We don't have proper wisdom in situations. But cynicism is corrosive to the heart. It robs us of belief in almost anything, including God's goodness, God's provision, and God's promises. In John 8, Jesus has to confront this issue with his own countrymen. They were inclined to think that what Jesus said was true, but cynicism was fully seeping into their hearts so that they couldn't fully devote themselves to him. Starting at verse 31 of John 8, John 8, 31, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. <laughs> anyone read the Bible lately? Yeah. Jesus had to laugh when he heard that one. What do you mean you will be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. If the son sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham, and yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I am telling you what I saw when I was with my father. You are following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied, for if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you are trying to kill me. That's the second time he said that. Because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are imitating your real father. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me. Because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own. He sent me. Why can't you understand what I am saying? It's because you can't even hear me. Cynicism. For you are the children of your father, the devil. This is a rough Sunday morning, in case you're wondering. <laughs> For those of you who think Jesus only said really squishy, lovey-dovey things, uh, they've forgotten this passage. You are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Cynicism. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God. You don't listen because you don't belong to God. We really believe Jesus when the numbers aren't working. Do we really believe Jesus when loved ones are making bad choices? Do we really believe after we've been diagnosed? We must fight in cynicism and believe again. Just to tell my message today. It's funny, we call ourselves believers. But the spirit of cynicism is alive and well outside and inside the church. So the question is, how do we root out cynicism and believe again? How do we root out cynicism? And that's intentional, folks, that verbiage. Root out cynicism and believe again. Number one, I'm going to give you five things here real quick. Number one, we realize our need of Jesus. Now I know, you're like, got it, next one. Well, nobody likes to be in need. It's nothing we naturally sign up for. Spiritually, life absolutely begins with needing Jesus. Verse 31, Jesus says, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Other versions use the word abide. Remaining is not a one-time act. It's a regular decision. I need Jesus, therefore I must stay. I must remain. We need to spend time reading, studying, memorizing, living the word of God. 
We need to live in the teachings of Jesus. We need to constantly be learning new things. That's partly why we come here to God's house, to receive teaching, have truth reinforced, learn new things, embrace spiritual principles, and adjust our lives around to that. The Bible doesn't need to fit my lifestyle. My lifestyle needs to fit around the Word of God. We need Him this morning. It's within this context that Jesus says his famous words, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's not that truth sets us free. It's knowing the truth sets us free. I need Jesus daily. I ponder and meditate on his instructions, his teachings. Then I will know the truth. Not my truth, not your truth, not his truth or her truth or its truth. The truth will set us free. Now that word know know the truth is an interesting one in the original Greek. The word there is gnosko. One definition of the the word gnosko is Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse between a man and a woman. I went PG-13 on you right there. What does that mean? This is how deeply and intimate Jesus desires our need to remain in him and his words. We are that intimately interconnected with the words of Jesus Christ. In life, maturity is defined by how much less we need our caregivers. That's the normal path, right? We, we reach that point where we're tired of mom and dad's rules. We're like, I gotta get my own place. It gets divinely uncomfortable. <laughs> and finally we're like, oh, okay. So we get some education, we learn skills, whatever we have to do, and we, we strike out on our own. And then we need mom and dad less and less. And that's maturity. But in Christ, the reverse is true. I become more mature in my walk with Christ the more I need him. The more I rely on him, the more I realize I can't do it myself. That is counterintuitive. It is exactly where the kingdom is. Number two, we want to root out cynicism. We remember who freed us. Another famous line here in this passage, you might have heard it in verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. See, real freedom only comes through Jesus. And how are we set free by Jesus? By believing. That's it. No money is exchanged. No sign here. Just believe in who Jesus is, what he did, your need of him. Maybe the most famous verse of the Bible says that whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. It is just that easy and just that hard. See, to an unbeliever, it all seems too easy. Paul did say the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. This whole system of ours looks foolish to the outsider. Even though we want them to be insiders. We we want you to join us. To the outsider, it looks foolish. I'll say a little prayer and boopity boop. Like, no, it it really isn't quite it. Because there's believing that's involved in this. Tell them about the Lord's free offer of salvation and the, the price is too low. Turns out we don't like free stuff much as we say we do. When I was a youth pastor, I, uh, uh, I had a youth pastor friend in town. Uh, we were the Pentecostal church, and they were the Baptist church. That's revival right there, folks. We got together, right? Come on now. That's amazing. But he was an amazing guy, and, and we decided as an evangelistic outreach to do a free car wash. By that I mean, we were not accepting any money, no donations, none. And his parking lot was perfect for it. It was a really long kind of a... Um, parking lot and so we had stations set up for when these cars would come by and, and the students would someone would wash and then do detail and then they dry it off you know and then they would finally get to me at the end I had these cards and one side of the card said why is this free and the reverse says because what Jesus did for you 
is free if you will only receive him. And then we had our church contact information on the back. So there I am at the last station when a brand new Lincoln Navigator pulls up. And the guy lowers the, uh, the window and he goes, all right, how much today? I said, sir, this is completely free. I'm handing him the card. No, 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 how, mu- how much? No, we're not, we're not charging. Yeah, I, I get it. But what, what's a good donation for, for, for all of you? I'm like, sir, not, we're not accepting any. No, no, it's all right, man. No, I, can, I can do it. I want to help you guys out. You did a really not, sir? We're not accepting any funds today. He finally got so desperate, he wadded up a $20 bill, threw it out the window, and peeled out of the parking lot. (laughs) What a wonderful experience that was. Because that guy didn't want to feel like he owed. This is why so many do not receive him. The offer is free, and the price just doesn't seem quite right. We so want to earn it, don't we? People try all kinds of religions and academic pursuits in an effort to get to some higher spiritual place, but it doesn't work. All the other religions of the world are built around what you have to do to get to God. Christianity is all about what God did to get to you. That's what separates it from all others. So no, not all roads lead to heaven. No, no sir, no ma'am. And we need to be at the front of the line shouting it out that there is but one way, and it is through Jesus Christ that we get to the Father. And if that makes us intolerant, then we're intolerant. Because someone's going to find out someday. And I'd rather they know now because we want everyone to join us. We must preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Can I just urge this audience, not put the gospel in your rearview mirror The gospel was not for the day, and it may have been 60 years ago, or it may have been last week, when you said, yes, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. And then we leave it in the back, and we're like, okay, now what do I have to do? Just give me the owner's manual, show me the list. Check, check, check. Got it, got it, okay. And we start to make wrong assumptions as believers. I can receive his grace today, yet still need my heart cleansed every day from the sin that I battle daily. But because of the work and blood of Jesus, I am free from the slavery of sin. Not the presence of sin. That happens when we get up there. But the slavery of sin, it is no longer our master. Even as Christians, we will have the tendency to think we have to earn God's love. We start focusing on our ability to follow the rules and we forget the work of Jesus. We do good things like pray and read the Bible and go to church and tithe because we think that's what keeps us in the club. No, we do those things out of love for Jesus and his love for us. It just becomes natural. If we forget who freed us and we start making it about us, eventually, like tomorrow, we will fall short. Then we'll feel shame and think we have to earn it that much more to, quote, get back in his good graces, which never works, and then sends us further and further away, and on we go. I'm sure you've all heard about people that have done that. I've read about them myself. Or we put ourselves in spiritual timeout, right? And we fear the Lord's disappointment, and the distance can go greater each day. The point that we're not experiencing his freedom at all. He will question his love for us and eventually may stop believing in his goodness or his promises because cynicism is right there to invade. We have made this thing too hard. Just as we couldn't save ourselves, we can't keep ourselves either. 
We need to believe in the simplicity of the gospel. Let's not make it more complicated than it is. He still loves you, my friend. Believe it. Number three, that's cynicism. We remove the clutter. <laughs> Just look at the clock. It's a really bad feeling. All right. Aren't you glad I'm a guest? Okay. We remove the clutter. I was a youth pastor for a long time, and I, I got to work with students for uh, like two decades. And it was always fun going to youth convention. And you, you'd be at some property in a hotel that none of these kids will ever stay at for the rest of their lives again. And then you see why they want to say it. Uh, they're just, they're, they're like, wah, you know. And, uh, and, you, and, and you're in the hotel and you're hitting the button to get on the elevator. And I'll be on the 10th floor and you're waiting a long time. And then finally, the ele- bing, door opens up and there are 618 teenagers on the elevator. And you're like, whoa. And there's always one. <laughs> She'll be like, come on, come on, there's still room, come on. <laughs> and I'm thinking, clearly you have not had geometry. <laughs> this is how many Christians live their lives, by the way. We fill it with whatever we want without consulting God. We fill it to the brim, and then we tell them, come on, God, you can still fit, come on. But making room for God isn't God squeezing into the backseat of a car with three people already in it. It is a complete emptying out of my plans and my agenda. He will not adapt to my plan. I adapt to his. Jesus is not part of a well-rounded life. He is supposed to be our entire life. So Jesus is dealing with a tough room here in John 8. We weren't buying into his message. He must have felt like he was selling patio furniture to Eskimos. And he said, some of you are trying to kill me. Why? Because there's no room in your hearts for my message. There's no room. If our hearts are full of other things, we'll either try to accommodate the Lord, which won't work for long, or we'll resent him for wanting to control all of it. We won't listen to him or believe anything he says. See, one of the great benefits of living a Christian life is that the Holy Spirit will identify clutter in our lives that needs to be disposed of. It keeps us empty and then available for anything God wants to put in there. See, Jesus doesn't use an eyedropper. He uses a fire hose. And when the Lord wants to fill us, he wants an empty container. He's not just adding a couple of drops. He's filling the glass. And it's all good stuff, my friend. But we can get cluttered from life. We, we can very subtly ingest the world's philosophy, unhealthy habits, anger, disappointment, hurt, unforgiveness, and injustices along the way. And if we don't remove the clutter, Jesus will have no room to operate. It will become cynical and full of all the wrong things. There will be no room in our hearts for the Lord's message. So hash it out with the Lord. The Holy Spirit, identify, and then let's deal with it. Don't allow cynicism to decay the soul. Let's empty it out. Number four, very quickly, we renounce the lies. We really can't become cynical until we start believing lies. It's ironic that the only thing a cynic truly believes are lies. Specifically, I'm talking about lies related to God and ourselves. Jesus exposes the source of those lies. He has some hard words for his Jewish audience that love to say their father was Abraham. That was like their little trump card. They always pull that out. (laughs) Our dad's Abraham. Boom, deal with that. And Jesus said, you are children of your father, the devil. Here's what I think of your card. There's an ace of spades right there. When disbelieving Jesus becomes natural, 
We are in serious trouble. We live in a cynical world which says nobody has the right answer or everybody has the right answer. That is a cynical response masked as wisdom. Wisdom is easy. It takes no effort whatsoever. It has become trendy to be agnostic, to say, yeah, we can really never know if there's a God. It's a cop-out and it's a lie. Not decide is to decide. Cynicism is easy. True belief in Jesus is hard. Otherwise, more people would be it. And we Christians can just as easily believe lies, especially when suffering occurs. The enemy is a liar. It's all he does, 24-7. From the Garden of Eden, when he told Eve that she would eat the forbidden fruit and she would be like God, do today, where he tells us, you will be God. Don't let that whatever thing in the sky get in your way. He is incapable of speaking truth. His forces are looking to tempt God's people to believing wrong things. The enemy is trying to feed us a false narrative that they are desperately hoping, he is desperately hoping we'll agree with. When we have adversity, his lies can sound so believable. It looks like you're not quite as blessed as you know who. Am I the only one who's like falling for that one? What else in the room? I don't know. All those little, try little blessings that you love to quote don't seem to be helping now, do are they? Isn't he? Isn't that kind of, that's his thing. Yeah, he's Ruth's. His forces are, are working 24-7 to steer us and to believe wrong things. God isn't good. You, he has abandoned you. You don't know his voice. What they're looking for is agreement from us. And what's a big deal about that is there's an Old Testament concept that maybe you've read. Maybe you've seen this verse. A matter is considered true on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Have you ever come across that in the Bible before? And you're like, oh, okay, I don't know. what. That, okay, big deal. You know, the Ten Commandments do not say thou shalt not lie. Okay? Thou shalt not bear witness. In other words, if you say, I saw something, if two people said it, you're like, so if you're going to do that, you better be telling the truth. What's happening in your life and mine is we have a witness who died for our sins, who went through the biggest act of sacrifice and love of anyone in history. He is witnessing in your life and he is saying, come on, I love you and I'm for you and I'm with you. And the enemy of our soul is saying the opposite. Here's the thing. You believe, break the tie. Become the second witness. That matter becomes true in our heads. So when you and I, and, and some of us, we've been ingrained with it. Yeah, you know, that's just our family. We just always get the short end of the stick. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it goes. System's rigged. I mean, some of these things we've carried for decades. What you and I have to do is place ourselves before the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, shine the light of truth. Expose to me the lies I have believed. And, and, and maybe you did. Maybe you grew up, man. It's like, it was like growing up in and you just thought, I don't know, be less than. The enemy just ruthless. It just wants you to buy into that and he can just take you wherever he wants to go. Allow the Holy Spirit to expose the lies that we, and let, and renounce them one by one. And very, and very lastly, number five, we respond to his voice. He says in verse 47, anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God. Can't believe we first belong. In other words, we need to be one with him. We need to be near him, with him, loving him, him loving us, worshiping him, enjoying him. The enemy wants to sever our connection to Christ. Now that is not easily done. The hold the Lord has on us is strong. But what about our hold on him? Has something disturbed the relationship? Have we had setbacks as Pastor Randy even talked about today? Have you been hurt? Please, I beg of you, don't take it out on the Lord. Go to him in those moments and allow him to speak the truth into your situation. Even if it's just him saying, I'm still here, I'm with you. 
I will never leave you or forsake you. Alone is a word we can hang on to while the storm is raging. Keep belonging in his presence. It makes so much easier to hear it from him and listen gladly. I can't think of a better cure for cynicism. I don't care how much scripture you know, how long you've been a Christian, or what your title is, what your level of education might be. All of us can receive a word from God for the season we are now in. When we hear, we listen gladly and we respond with worship and devotion, whatever action he commands. If our hearts have been scarred and hardened by cynicism, today is the day to get a word from God to believe again. There's a minister out there named Bob Sorge. He was a pastor and a worship leader for many years, but in 1992, he developed an ulcer on his vocal cord. Now, the surgery to remove it ended up destroying his voice. He could no longer do what he was doing. He really couldn't sing very long. He couldn't talk very long. And he had to leave the full-time ministry. He was devastated, and it almost ruined his relationship with God. But the Lord used that, his condition, end up providing him with a whole new platform ministry. And as he began making videos about his life and what he was learning, people all across America began to see. This is one of those brief videos. Here he is speaking about the most important word in the Bible. If you're interested... I'm about to tell you the most important word in the whole Bible. 